Ladies and gentlemen, you could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us in Seattle, Washington. Are you ready for a live podcast, huh? The issue on the table, Jay's plan to jettison current continuity and focus on secret wars. Scott Koblish, you have the floor, sir. <laughs> With great power, there must also come great responsibility. We fight for the ideal to the best of our ability. These are wise words, Spider-Man, quote em. Don't act surprised, you guys, cause smile and stand wrote em. Oh, but Jay forgets. Their plan would have this panel explaining events. Now I'm pretty clear as to where we might veer. The very same title where the experts appear. Not true! Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it! If continuity's a mess, why should the panel bear it? Oh, <laughs> our books are gold, I'm told. Don't blame the ongoings, cause they get sold. In Deadpool, we lampoon the status quo. We subvert. You just want to sound smart for your show. This multiversal plan is an outrageous demand, and it's too many damn titles for anyone to understand. Stand with me for continuity! And pray to doom that Jay's plan never comes to be. Look, we got Frisky with Beyonders in the mix. Imagine what's going to happen if you nuke the 616. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Jay, your response. Scott, that was some real nice flow. Now welcome to the panel. We're recording a real show. Would you like to join us or stay cool doing whatever the hell it is you do on Deadpool? If we explain the event, the panel gets just enough rope, a reasonable scope. How can you not get it? If we're canny and intrepid, we can heat up the discourse. You'd rather leave it tepid? You think your ongoing is vital? Come find me when you get an X in the title. Oh. We lampoon the status quo. We subvert. We both know that you're basically describing a sideshow. And another thing, Mr. Merck with a mouth, don't you lecture me about how the lines go in south? We were explaining gold balls while you were hopping the fourth wall! <laughs> okay, guys, not that this isn't delightful, but the clock is ticking. What are we actually going to be discussing? Secret Wars. Uh, Wait, seriously? Then what was that just now? Oh, we just really wanted to do a rap battle. What?! <laughs> Hello, I am J. Rachel Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 105 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, the outs, and the retcons of our very favorite superhero soap opera. Okay, so we are here live in Seattle from Emerald City Comic Con. Thank you all so much for joining us. It's really awesome talking to a bunch of people instead of the internet at large. I mean, the internet's cool, don't get me wrong. You gotta pull back because it's a panel mic, not a recording mic. This is a very different microphone than I'm used to. You're just, no, it's okay. You're just gonna sound really epic. You're gonna echo a bunch in the recording. That's right. Thunder down from the heavens themselves. It's very Dr. Doom. Okay, so we have some awesome guests here. So let's just go down the list. Would you all please introduce yourselves to our lovely audience? Hello, my name is G. Willow Wilson. I write a little book called Ms. Marvel for Marvel Comics. <laughs> I have also written Adjectiveless X-Men uh, for an arc called The Burning World and A-Force. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm Chris Anka. Um, I draw Captain Marvel now, and I used to draw Uncanny X-Men. And I... <laughs> 
I want to jump in really quickly and say that as of this episode, Chris, you also tie for most recurring guest. It's true. Around uh, the now, podcast. Right? Who am I tied with? Um, it's you, Chris Sims, and Greg Rucka. They're going down. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because Rucka, they disappear, was, you know Rucka why. was the beyonder on, on Secret Convergence. <laughs> uh, I'm Scott Koblish. Um, I draw Deadpool for Marvel, and uh, I've worked in comics for way too long. <laughs> Although, I don't want it to end, I'm just saying. <laughs> this is his last day on the job. It's the day before retirement. You left out the important parts, Scott. Scott is the, the artist who brought us into canon on X-Men 92. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. For the Secret Wars book, yeah. So I think we're going to start, we mentioned Secret Wars isn't all we're covering, it's just that that has a lot of internal rhymes, and so narrowing the scope really helps. Um, <laughs> it's really all for the cold open. Beyond that, you know. So many internal rhymes. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I think we're going to start by talking about a little bit is what Secret Wars is and how that relates to one of the bigger concepts you see in Marvel and around X-Books, which is multiverses and ultimate or alternate timelines. Uh, so first we should do a little bit of disambiguation just to all be on the same page, with the caveat that none of this stuff is really official. A lot of these terms are used interchangeably because that's how comics and Marvel in particular work. So you were talking about alternate universes, alternate universes and alternate timelines. So let's give like a quick example. Um, okay, so Earth 811. Yeah, so that would be an alternate timeline. That's days of future past. It's split at a certain point. Initially, we thought it was just the future of the Marvel Universe. Turned out not so much. Yeah, um, it, it, diver it specifically diverged from the main timeline. It wasn't an, uh, things were always different. Now, again, this isn't official. This is a type of disambiguation that we basically use for purposes of, of figuring out what we're talking about. And actually, I should say, speaking of the multiverse, God, Al, you just come up. So Al Ewing is here, and he is, he is really good at making sense of this stuff, and we're just going to make him do it. <laughs> We were like going to do a whole that, thing. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to point out that Al Ewing was also the one that brought Super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau back into modern continuity. So and, thanks, And Al. so is a hero to the people. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very glad to do it. But Al, you've been, you've done at this point, I think, more deep mucking around in the structure of the multiverse, the recent stuff, than most other folks. What, wh where, how would you make the distinctions that we're trying to to describe? Um, I don't know. A lot of it is based on what I remember from being a young child, so which I'm sure is the best way to do it. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I just thought, because um, I think in Ultimates, that was probably the latest one when I had a weird idea about orbital mechanics and like the time stream of the Marvel Universe. I won't, I won't explain it here because it's dull. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just love alternate realities. I love alternate universes. I love the whole kind of all the different Captain Britons coming together in a yes. sort of cocktail party and generally just grooving around. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, it's all childhood, childhood love. <laughs> um, yeah, and I know, like, I almost wish I came into comics a little later because I think one of, the, one of the coolest examples of a fully alternate universe was actually talking about the word ultimate, the ultimate universe, which was kind of different from the start. Like, it didn't diverge to a specific point, and, unless I'm totally missing my continuity, it which is not. possible. Um, it, it, it converged at a specific point. Right, which is like way more confusing, actually. But that actually brings up a really important point because something that, you know, part of, part of the appeal of big shared universe superhero comics, and this, I mean, definitely for us, is 
playing, you know, continuity tag and rationalization, finding ways to make things fit together that they didn't before. So things that start out as distinct parallel timelines tend to cross eventually pretty much no matter what. Yeah, and so with Secret Wars being the kind of... Secret Wars 3, to clarify, not the one where Spider-Man taught the Beyonder to poop, not, not the one where a bunch of action figures got slammed together. Well, I mean, I guess kind of that. But anyway, the recent one. Different action figures, nicer action figures, and, and a, a wider variety of them, I think. Yes, slightly more diverse action figures. We appreciate that, Marvel. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the, the premise of that, of course, was that a bunch of different alternate universes and alternate timelines all got crammed together in a world called Battle World, which was a world where there were, were battles, I guess. I don't know. It's a term from the 80s. The 80s can do what they want. Um. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, Battleworld was kind of a microcosm of the multiverse, or at least initially was. It was a world where a lot of different sort of subcontinents or countries of different timelines existed, and existed discreetly for the most part. Over the course of the series, and as a central theme to some of the um, to some of the miniseries, they started to interact, but for the most part, they, they existed independent of one each of one another and almost completely isolated. Um, but within a common world. So it was, it was sort of an, an odd bridge between those. So actually, um, I think, Ellie, I'm not sure, I, I did all, all of you guys did Secret Wars series, right? No, so, so no. um, <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm going to say most of those were sort of in self-contained worlds, but Willow, yours in particular, was one that pulled elements from a whole bunch of different timelines and, and realities. And can you, so I, I think you're probably the best equipped among us to talk about how that worked. <laughs> Um, well, on a practical level, how it worked was they said, Willow, write this series and use whoever I want. And I said, are you really serious about that? Or are you just kind of serious about that? And they said, no. And so I said, can I bring back Dazzler with the, you know, like the go-go outfit and the roller skates? And they were like, knock yourself out. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, the premise behind Arcadia was simply all of the female characters in the Marvel universe in one spot in this, in this sort of semi tongue in cheek matriarchy, including a lot of X characters from, from various timelines who were all interacting, some of them for, for the first time ever because they had been in discrete universes before. Um, so you could have, uh, you know, like She Hulk and Nico Minoru on the same team and, uh, you know, you could just sort of bring in, in whatever. Um, so it was, but constructing that was actually interesting because usually when you decide what kind of characters you're going to work with and how they're going to all fit together, there's a lot of discussion of, okay, you know, what costume are they wearing right now? And who's dead in this timeline? And who's still alive? And in this case, it was all very ambiguous because you could choose, uh, you, you know, you, you could take that character from kind of any subsection of their existence in any number of universes. So the challenge when you have that kind of openness was actually, okay, we need to, we need to sort of like pick a lane and because it's, it's each of those characters in one universe, not multiple copies of those characters in that universe. So, so that was actually the toughest thing is if we're going to bring back seventies dazzler, you know, as opposed to punk dazzler or whatever, what does that mean going forward? And, um, so I mean, it's it's actually harder to mash all that up than it seems. And that's actually, that brings me to something I was hoping we could talk about, which is, so you were talking about getting basically the definitive version of each of those characters, yeah. or at least the ones you were choosing to go together. And typically the first question we ask panelists when we've done convention episodes is, what's your definitive X-Men lineup? But 
We're discussing alternate timelines today, so... Uh, so I guess the question for, for each of you would be, what's your definitive alternate take on, I guess, the Marvel Universe, but if possible, specifically, the X-Men Universe? Like, what's the alternate timeline, reality, whatever, that is sort of your go-to when you think about what X-Men could be if they weren't the standard 616? I guess for me, it would be uh, the Belasco uh, realm, where yeah. the X-Men were in... Uh, they were twisted versions of themselves, and I really kind of... Because I'd been following the book like obsessively at that point, and to have just for one month a time where Nightcrawler's kind of this seedy creep. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then just compare that against what the character was that I had built up all this trust for during the entire time, and then have that subvert, subverted for like a, a, a period of time. Do you know what I mean? I just thought that was really interesting to me as a kid, so. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, not sure I was about to. I don't think this is an alternate timeline, technically, but the I've got a great fullness for those old black and white magazine size things. Was it the Astounding Adventures, the Awesome Adventures? Oh, uh, amazing! The one amazing. that had like the Iceman story and that thing about Jean Grey. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It had that amazing Nightcrawler story and that amazing Jean. Um, I remember getting these as a kid because um, I mean, we, we you know we got whatever came through the pipeline. Um, I'm I'm from the UK. You might you might be able to tell. I don't know. <laughs> um, but basically, we you know we got whatever fell through the pipeline. So like we were sort of getting getting our X Men in dribs and drabs and like the Secret Wars reprints. I spent like a week thinking Colossus was telepathic because he <laughs> held his hands like this in like, in like one panel, and that was all the information I had on him. Um, that's going to make great radio. Uh, guess the gesture. Um, so yeah, I guess, I mean, it's not technically an alternate universe, but it felt like an alternate reality to me. It felt like um, a kind of more sophisticated, more kind of uh, adult, I guess. I mean, you know, I was, what do you want from me? I was 10. Um, but yeah, that's so, I guess, I guess that it's a sort of a non-answer, but you know, here I am. No, that makes sense. I mean, we, in the show, we go through continuity basically in order. Occasionally, we'll skip around, like with that vampire thing for more recently. Um, you've got a Dracula problem. but uh, We've all got a Dracula problem. But yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I was, I was in the States, but I was just reading whatever I could get a hold of. And some of that was like my father's stuff from the 80s. Some of that was the occasional 70s issue I would turn up. Some of that was the 90s stuff that was coming out, which was its own uh, bit of confusion. Um, thanks to the 90s editorial situation. But uh, yeah, like it almost can feel like a different world because there's just so much more going on. And if you're reading it out of order like that, you just have to sort of construct your own logic to it. So it's like Earth 616.3 or something. <laughs> so totally. I read the, uh, I read the uh, Frank Miller or, uh, run out of order completely. And the thing about Frank Miller's run, and I don't, I don't mean to just... To, I'm completely off of X-Men just for one second. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but like, uh, it, it's, it's, it, Miller would do these little, he would loop around and do the same story, like each time out, like the Punisher would be in jail and then he'd be out of jail and then he'd be back in jail. And I was, I'd read it all out of order. So I still to this day don't know, like I don't have a good sense of where it all, so I'm sympathetic to you. Yeah. You should have let the mystery be sometimes. Um, uh, Chris, what about you? Uh, probably House of M. Um, it happened to be the, like, event that was, like, kicking off when I started getting into comics. And it's also one of the only places in which mutants are actually happy. So briefly, like, briefly. Briefly. I mean, I mean they kind of make themselves unhappy, but they were happy for a time. 
What was what was the timeline where Storm has a mohawk and a leather jacket and she's hooking up with Wolverine? Uh, that would be the six one six recently. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I know before that there was like the cartoon. It's one. the it's the ninety two cartoon version of Days oh, of yeah. Future Past. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that. <laughs> best, that is the best possible answer. <laughs> so, do, do we get to answer this? Because I, I have a, I actually have a couple answers. Do it, do it. So, my definitive one. Um, I started reading X Men with Age of Apocalypse because. Um, <laughs> Which is, is, is a weird place to jump in, but I think was, was a fun start because I, it left me with a really sort of clear idea starting with that, what characteristics and what, what sort of definitive bits of characters persisted between universes. So that's probably my definitive one, but I think my favorite, um, because my reasoning is exactly the opposite of Chris's, is probably Age of X. I think it's one of the most narratively interesting. It also has, um, it has one of my, my two favorite versions of Cyclops, which is kind of the bar by which versions <laughs> of the X-Men live and die for me. Um, the other one, and I, I don't remember the designation of the Earth, but I, I have a huge, huge soft spot for the Mutant X world, the one at the beginning. I know it's a reality-hopping series. Is that the one with Bloodstorm? That is the one with Bloodstorm. It's also the one with the only happy version of Cyclops in the multiverse. He is a space <laughs> pirate, and he's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you're a space pirate in the Marvel Universe, if you were a space pirate in real life, assuming there was such a thing, I suspect your life would be terrible because you would die bloodily and there would be all these yeah, ethical conflicts. Yeah, piracy is not a happy or easy life. But being a 70s space pirate in the Marvel Universe sounds amazing. Nobody else <laughs> in that timeline is happy, but Cyclops has a really good time. You know? See, seeing how he's portrayed in every single other universe, I feel like that still evens yeah, out. Yeah, he's earned it. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I... Okay, so this is... This is one of my standard panel episode cheat answers, um, but for me, I really like the way the multiverse is portrayed in, uh, to a degree, Captain Britain, but to a greater degree, I think, Excalibur, because with that, you have all of these different multiverses just all slamming into each other at random angles at random times. You have, like, you know, the 616 meeting this creepy Nazi England, meeting this thing where everyone's weird animals, meeting this thing, et cetera, et cetera. I like the one where they're all lizards. That was pretty good, yeah. It's exactly the same, but everyone has these sort of lizardy faces, and they all look really surprised all the time. Rachel Summers got turned into a dinosaur once. That was weird. She did. That was in 616, though. It was so weird, though. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, for it's me... It's a telepathic dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Like you do. For you me, should all be so lucky. <laughs> that's a big part of the appeal of the multiverse, is you get to have all these different versions of characters slamming into each other, and I mean, think about that. Like, you're just living your life, and all of a sudden you see an alternate you, who is basically a what-if version of yourself. You know, what if the timeline diverged at this point, or this fundamental aspect? of it was different and you kind of have to examine well well damn the decisions i've made what would i have made the same decisions if the world was king arthur's court for some bizarre reason except everyone had like bat wings and giant toenails or apparently that's where my mind goes we all work in comics and publishing we all would have been like dead by 25 well that's that's probably true we would not have survived well in a feudal world we would have gotten like a little chris claremont backstory for a single caption and then we would have been killed by the villain of the issue yeah yeah so that actually brings me to another question this is going to be one of those terrible um either or questions for everyone on the panel. Um, Chris and Scott as artists, Al and Willow as writers. Given free reign, given your druthers, um, you know, I, I feel like on one hand, a lot of people come to, to share universe comics going, if I wrote this, I would do, you know, this alternate, alternate version. You know, we have our, our own, these are the stories I would tell. On the other hand, a lot of the fun is getting to play and dig deep into that continuity and world. Which, what, given the either or, would you rather take the characters and concepts and sort of run with them on your own? Or would you rather, you know, actually get into, you know, the strings of the multiverse and, and tug on those? 
Um, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I never know the answer to this sort of stuff. I always find that whenever I have a plan for something, it goes horribly awry. So whenever I'm kind of just winging things as an artist on somebody else's concept, I'm always surprised that I'm like, this is it, this is it, this is amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I guess for me, I, I would love to try something new is really what I'm, what I've been doing with the Deadpool stuff recently. So that's really what, because I did the X-Men 92 stuff, I felt like I, I dove into everybody's continuity, like a tight continuity around that time period, and I wanted to kind of do new things. It just really like cemented in my head that I wanted to do new things more than anything else. So that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a tough one, because um, I guess if so, well, it's yanking at the, the main characters or delving into the, the strangeness of everything. I think I'll probably go with the strangeness. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go multiverse. I'm gonna like delve into the multiverse and start yanking entire universe around and make them fight. Yeah, That's I was gonna fun. say you're, you're the man who figured out how to make next wave canon. So, <laughs> yeah. which incidentally is the cold open to 106, and I had to email Al at three in the morning to get him to explain it to me. <laughs> which you know, in my time, was just over breakfast or something. So you know, I was fine. I, I love continuity, so probably that like. I can't draw a panel. Like, it's like, like, you know, if there's a panel of like beast sipping coffee, like I need to like scour to see if beast has ever drank coffee before and what is, and what his mug <laughs> looks like. So like, I, I have to do that. Like, I can't make anything up. Like, I, I, I hate it so much. That's hysterical. So I'm, I'm going to give a slightly different answer based on purely pragmatic principles here. Usually when you're being invited to do your own version of X, Y, and Z, you're doing some sort of limited series. It's going to be like a five-issue thing, a ten-issue thing, and then it will all get blown up and go back to the regular 616 or whatever. If you are, have been invited to do, like, get your hands into the existing continuity in the multiverse, it usually means you've been handed, like, a giant uh, um, event book that is going to sell 150 thousand copies and make you rich so all things considered i'd rather do that (laughs) That, that's entirely legit comics folks gotta eat right (laughs) all right so um going looping back and looking at alternate versions of the x-men i have a question so so we've seen when we've talked about versions versions that diverge really wildly for you, how much can you change before a team stops being the X-Men or you know, the individual characters in it? What are, what are the concepts that have to be there that are just, just inarguable and that, you know, where after that it, it's something else. You have to take the X out of the title, different book. So essentially the big question is, what makes the X-Men the X-Men? That's a really good question. For me, there have been a number of times where the X-Men weren't the X-Men, even though they had the same themes. It was just like the characters were missing for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember when the, when you're covering it nowadays where, uh, uh, Colossus was not in the X-Men and, and Kitty Pride was not in the X-Men and Wolverine and Storm were mostly in the, the lead, team leaders and Scott Summers was not there. And for me, that really felt kind of alienating to me as a, as a kid reading it. Now I understand that Chris was kind of playing with with the different team dynamics, do you know what I mean? Like as yeah. an adult, I kind of understand like why why he did those things. But as a kid, it was really I just missed the camaraderie, the easy camaraderie. You know what I mean? Like so, it was like even though the themes uh, were really being driven home about them being hunted and feared for being who they were, 
Like, uh, <clears throat> it just felt kind of strange to me as a kid reading it. And I was never, and I was, I actually stopped reading it it's at around that time. So emotionally, I just became uninvested in it, even though now as an adult, I'm really fascinated intellectually by that those changes and why he did them so. yeah reading um reading x-men kind of going back and looking at it in terms of distinct eras in terms of what the creators were intended versus reading it as it comes out like that's a totally different experience i'll be really curious to hear you know in five years ten years what readers who are just now coming on to like the 2010 stuff think of it in retrospect well and and what the the real version is is so seems so dependent on when you start i mean i think i i remember um when when Joe Quesada was talking about getting rid of, of Spider-Man's marriage and how the real Spider-Man is a single dude. And I remember how weird that sounded to me because for my, my whole life up to that point, Spider-Man had been married. Like, Spider-Man was married. That was just part of the package. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we sort of impress on, on our initial versions like baby ducks, and that's the real one. I think one of the ways that's going to uh, really feel different for you know newer readers versus where we jumped on is Emma Frost. Because when oh, I started reading, yeah. she was so a villain. And then, like, when Generation X yeah. started and she started coming in with Xavier, that's when that started to change. But, you know, back in the day, back in the, the Hellfire uh, saga, the Dark Phoenix saga, like, Emma was just, I mean, she set a pony on fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> So, yeah, but I mean, these days, like, she is a core X-Men. You look at the cartoon Wolverine and the X-Men, and she's, like, a big deal in that. And, you know, to be fair, like, she's she's fascinating. Grant Morrison really brought her into the spotlight, and that's rad. But such a huge change to the core of what, you know, who the core cast is. Um, what about the rest of you guys? Um, I, well, for my part, I, I guess that, um, I mean, the X-Men, they can be hated and feared. There's been times when they've been less hated and feared, where they've been more in the, the mainstream. Uh, but I think if they were to do the hating and the fearing, that would no longer be the X-Men for me. Um, you know, they've, they've got to be sort of on the side of um, non-hate and non-fear. Although, having said that, um, an idea of like an entire world full of mutants, except this small band of humans who are all just like, ah, ah. like Cyclops going, Gene, you don't know if I take my glasses off for even a moment, I can't see as well. <laughs> Imagine... Imagine living with that gene. <laughs> gene, hand me a fork with your hand. <laughs> Beast, go to the dermatologist immediately. Look at you. Oh we've, we've just now justified this entire year of Emerald City Comic Con as yeah. of right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, do, I do agree with uh, Scott. Like, like, even with... The, the themes like the X-Men to me have always been a family uh, so not seeing like the core bothers me because it doesn't feel like the right family like the core in terms of because, like, the characters like, the, or? yeah like, like the Avengers like works because it's a team and, like you can trade them out it's all about finishing a mission the X-Men's always about a family and like it's it's a team that like grew together and not having them on there you know, if you swap them out it just feels wrong because I'm like I don't want to see these guys I don't care because like, you're missing the family dynamic. So it's always great to see them get back together. So like you know, the fact that Rogue's been gone for a few years it bothers me. She still wears the X, even though she's been in the Avengers for ages. Very strange. She's, she's a rebel. That one. <laughs> she's a rogue. Oh, rogue. Oh. Uh, I'm oh. so sorry. Get out. Get out. <laughs> or alternately, she's a rouge. If you look at how she spelled most of the time on the rouge, net. Yeah. Uh, Kamala just punched her out in, in, what was it, all new, all different? Yes. Yeah. 
for for what she did to Carol. I mean, still all these years later, I was like, it was a big deal. I I just I'm I'm embarrassed that I never caught on to that in in the solo book. I mean, this she should have made it. Her first mission should have been to go and punch Rogue after she got her powers. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. But you were the first person to erase all the emotional ties of the memories of Carol Danvers, but not the last. Weirdly enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm changing the whole book now. I mean, this is going forward. It's going to be completely different. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I think to, to me, the, the core of the X-Men is more about a theme. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's because it's about mutants. It's about people who are different. I think the X-Men has always been, no matter what kind of mission they're on, in a way about the problem of evil. Um, you know, it's, it's, and it has to do with when they were created and, and kind of the questions we were asking ourselves as the human race after the Holocaust. And so to me, when I, when I, when I see them getting a little bit, I don't even know what I, I like, I, I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible. Um, it, when they start going on missions that have, don't, that don't have that weight, you know, that, that don't have that same kind of, Considering these very, these very relevant, cogent moral questions that you're asking and answering, that's when I start to get lost. When it's just sort of people with superpowers running around and zapping things, I'm like, there are plenty of teams that do that. Yeah. But the X-Men are really the team that I think they, they represent our conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that w- w- was what really resonated with me when I was getting into them in the 90s, uh, you know, during the, the you know, the, the Sentinel and the mutant registration, you know, that whole thing and, and the Dark Phoenix thing. Um, so when they become just another superhero team doing random stuff, I'm like, it doesn't feel like the X-Men. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I am as well with the whole thing. Because for, for me, and part of this may just be the fact that I think about X-Men continuity a, a, a lot, but I kind of like it when, the, when the, the team shifts as long as there's that central question, as long as there's the question of, you know, okay, we've been dealt a really shitty hand in the world based on who we are and how the, how the world reacts to that. You swore before I did. <laughs> I'll buy you a drink with our joint checking account. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's about the question to, to vastly oversimplify things: Is Xavier right, or is Magneto right, or later on, is Cyclops right, or is Wolverine right? It's like, how do we handle the fact that the world is not a fair place? How do we be? How do we do the right thing, and what is the right thing in the face of this of this oppression? You know, do we do we sort of give everyone the benefit of the doubt? Do we say that hey, maybe if I was afraid, I would do the same thing, or do we say no? There are no excuses for treating mutants this badly and whatever whatever team lineup you have you know whether it's like an an x4c kind of proactive mean cut you good team or whether it's like a a more humanitarian version like the x-men have sometimes been as long as you're dealing with that i think that's what the x-men are and should be so my my answer to this actually kind of branches from something willow said you described them as as functioning as a conscience and for me fundamentally to work the x-men have to be outsiders Mm -hmm. they cannot be part of the entrenched power structure structure even in the worlds like like age of apocalypse or house of m where mutants are with that are mutant supremacist worlds the x-men function outside of that and oppose that um for me the, the x-men have to function from the margins to really work they are and and when they do have a relationship with a power structure um I mean, I was, I was thinking when, again, when you were talking about that, one of the few eras where that's worked for me was when they were in San Francisco because they were specifically really uneasily navigating that relationship. The what is it like to be in a city that welcomes us? Yeah, you're, the, the mayor is talking really good game, but we still don't quite trust this 
can we, you know, we, we can work with the system, but we can't quite bring ourselves to be part of it. So the combination of that and family and intrinsic difference. Like, I feel like the X-Men have to be, they don't, I mean, mutants are sort of, sort of the shorthand, but there, there has to be sort of a, a these are not characters who went, I, I guess Beast did, did this, but these are not characters who went and did science and got superpowers from it. These are, these are characters to whom that just sort of happened and who then need to come to terms with that and who are put in a very specific place relative to central society because of that. Um, totally. and you know, it's, it's inconsistent in the Marvel universe. Like it, it is largely ridiculous that, that the Fantastic Four are, are beloved and, and the X and, you know, mutants are, are mistrusted despite the fact that there are really not that many fundamental differences in terms of range of, of abilities and superpowers. But I still, I still like that. I, I, I like them as a marginalized group who's trying to feel out their place. I mean, I think I've, I've talked about this before, but I, I think mutants are a rough metaphor and I, I'm not always into them being used that way, but in a lot of ways, the discourse of the mutant community has borrowed from and incorporated the discourse and conversations around and from a lot of marginalized groups and groups functioning from, from the, the fringes and margins. And that is where I actually really like the use of that. And that, yeah, you can, you can actually, no one ever makes it explicit, but um, the central philosophy of mutants has perfectly paralleled the central philosophy of uh, disability activism from the medical to social models and uh, especially the, ad the adoption of the, um, the philosophy nothing about us without us. Like, I really want to see someone make that more explicit. And I, I think with that, so we've got, we've got, what, about 15, 20 minutes left. We are going to open things up to questions. We are recording this, so there is a, there is a microphone there. Um, if you would line up at the mic, if you have a question and you are having trouble getting to the microphone or you need the microphone to come to you, raise your hand and we'll try to make that happen. But otherwise, if you can line up at the mic, that would be awesome. Yes. Um, and our usual panel disclaimer applies, which is that without super doctor astronaut internet here, uh, any research related questions, we might get totally wrong. Yeah. So we, we answer your detailed continuity questions on our podcast, partly because we're we're, you know, just, just ridiculous repositories of fact, but also largely because we're research monsters. If you ask a question that we can't answer off the cuff right now, um, we will remember, we will look up the seven, we'll answer it on the blog sometime in the next week. Yes. Uh, so, yes, and also we have this awesome panel of guests who know many things, so... They do. Go uh, for it. So, this relates directly to what we've been talking about. The mutant metaphor has been used to discuss so many different social issues. If you could pick... If you were making an arc and you could pick a social issue that a particular character could speak to in depth in the context of the X-Men, what would you want to see covered and what character would you want to use as, as the, the foil to flesh that out? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I have an answer to this. I want to see a mutant with incredibly destructive powers that they can't entirely control trying to negotiate ADA accommodations. Yeah. Oh, man. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, you could do, I mean, this is going to sound really academic for a second, but I think it would be interesting to ask a question of, uh, you know, a character like Storm, for example, or Xavier went, you know, rest in peace, but uh, do they feel... Are they more a mutant or are they more something else? 
Like, does Storm feel more mutant than African? Or does Xavier feel more like a mutant than, uh, uh, I don't know, pick something, a Brit? <laughs> or a bald guy? I mean, you know, it would be interesting to explore their their sort of identities from the point of view of do is there are they being pulled because usually when we see them they're all together they're all mutants and like that's a thing and everything else is kind of ancillary so it'd be interesting to see if they felt like they were enough a part of another community that they were being kind of pulled in two different directions and by another community i don't mean like i am also a space pirate i mean <laughs> i mean another community like like another group of people who have very distinct issues that might sometimes be in conflict with the ones that i have as a mutant yeah well even they all have different identities within the roles that they play within the groups too like you know you have a big brother or you have a patriarch as far as xavier does xavier identify more as the patriarch than right. than as a mutant oh, that's interesting Go for it. Hey. Hey. Um, there's, with such talk about continuity, um, is it, I wonder if I can raise this at all. Um, there's, uh, Marvel's, you know, always moving forward with his continuity and sliding time scale. Punisher fought in Vietnam, then he fought in, you know, Afghanistan. Like, it's, it's moving things forward. However, one of, I think, the most unique cases about that is an X character. Magneto always has to have been in the Holocaust. And as continuity moves forward, that went from he's, you know, 20 years ago he was in the Holocaust to now 70. Uh, how, if that character can move forward as X-Men comics show no sign of stopping when he is so fixed at this one extremely important moment in human history? It's because he works out a lot. <laughs> He's the most ripped ninety-year-old in the world. <laughs> he gets de-aged to a baby periodically. Th that did happen. That it's happens. true. That it's happened really at weird. least once. Um, there have been they man. They they have had so many hand wavy. This is why Magneto ages less. At least once, it's just been magnets or magnetism <laughs> um, miracles of magnetism but there's there, there actual been like magnets yeah there have been there's there, I think there's a whole there's a, like there are like two episodes of evolution that are about this too there was also that one time he had Dracula's castle that was pretty cool there was the time he had Dracula's castle um yeah it's yeah, that's that's a weird one, and it's, it's an interesting one because yeah he does he has to be a Holocaust survivor mm -hmm. and there's nothing that can stand in for that. I mean, that, that almost raises a bigger question, which is that, I mean, okay, so, you know, Tony Stark, he, he was in Vietnam, then he was in Afghanistan or wherever. You can mess with that. You just have to have a war that feels sort of like that. But the Holocaust is really a singular event. And I mean, it's, it almost feels not okay, the idea of moving it in history to be more recent. But I kind of feel like if you have a sliding timescale like the Marvel Universe, I almost can't see an alternative because that's just... It's one of the most important events in human history, one of the events we just can't forget, so you can't just get rid of it and throw it into the past. No, I mean, I think this is where the fact that it's, it's a superhero universe comes into play. Like, if you cannot rationalize why a guy who was around in a young adult in the 1940s is still around in his, in his, in his 50s now, in a world where people can fly, like, <laughs> you know, it's... it's I, I think, honestly, trying... You know, having, having just, just having him, having slow aging be part of his mutate, like just, there are so many ways you can basically just say, we acknowledge this, but don't worry about it. It's not a concern. Like, I think, I think that's kind of what you have to do. Just sort of lampshade it. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of, uh, X-Men and alternate universes, uh, one title that was just in that up to its elbows, of course, was, uh, Exiles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you, do you guys read that? Did you enjoy it? And, 
would you want to play around in that particular sandbox? Yeah, let's turn this over to the people who actually write and draw for, for, for Marvel. Well, Mike, I've, I've read it. Um, really liked it. It was, uh, it was really good. Um, I think I got about as far with it as, um, I don't, I, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but somebody died. Um, and I got about that far. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was good. It was, it's, it's something that, um, uh, I guess, I guess Web Warriors is probably doing that now. The whole, the kind of team running around the multiverse title. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I think there's definitely room for something like that to be kind of just, just for people to have fun with, just to like really like uh, play and mess about with. And then, you know, occasionally take it to maybe deeper in a little dark territory. But, yeah. No one else has done that. I'm going to say my, my, my imaginary, if someday I actually get to pitch to Marvel book is, is in that direction. Like, I think, I think universe hopping is, 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 yeah, it's interesting because it lets you mix and match and play in that. But I mean, it's, it's, you get to tell stories about what characters do when confronted with themselves. Like you, you get to take one of the central metaphors of fiction and make it very literal, which is, is pretty much always a lot of fun. What was that, was that line from Spaceballs? Why didn't anyone tell me my ass looked like that? Kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> but man, yeah, I would love to, um, I'd love to see another X-ish book going through the multiverse like that. Cause I mean, one of my favorite aspects of X-Men is exactly that, right? Yeah, I there. think the last was, was Greg Pak's Extreme X-Men, which is fantastic, by yeah, the way. Yeah, totally. So we talked a bit about the mutant metaphor thing, and I think X-Men does a great job of using that, but it's more of like if, You've got your superhero silliness, and that's 80% of storylines, and then mutant metaphors, maybe, like, let's just throw out 20. What do you think would have to change in the industry to make the mutant metaphor more like a 40% or a 60%, maybe a 50-50? To have it be sort of less specifically superhero comic booky and more of, like, sort of a social examination? I think that's yeah. why there should be... There should be that, that's the whole point of having a line with more than one title in it. So you can have... You can have different books that shift that balance in ways that are more or less appropriate to different stories, different teams, and different different creative teams. Yeah. Maybe 10 to 15K of sales per month. <laughs> yes. That's that's what would have to shift. <laughs> and I mean, actually, along those lines, uh, with you all have, uh, having done a lot of work for Marvel, I mean, is that basically, I mean, whatever you can, you're allowed to say, but is that basically what determines what type of a book you're allowed to work on? Just sort of what seems to sell? I don't know that it's, it's not the whole thing. I mean, every, I think all publishers like to experiment. They're not, I mean, you know, the dollars are a driving force, but they do want to just sort of see what's out there and, and make good art. Um, I, I think a lot of publishers are willing to try anything once. Mm -hmm. Um, but the question of whether it gets to be, to go on more for, for more than once or become a bigger thing or, or get a number of books or sort of expand does come down to our people reading it. Um, so sales, you know, they, they do play a, a big role. Um, and so, you know, when you get something like Ms. Marvel, which I don't, I, I certainly didn't expect to go for more than 10 issues. <laughs> um, and it does really well. That then raises the question in the mind of, you know, not just Marvel, but any publisher, can we do more stuff like this? Is, is there a market here? Let's do more books like this and see what happens. So when, when books that are not sort of part of the standard issue superhero fair do well, that becomes a kind of proof of concept. 
And then people are more willing to take a risk on other books that deal with similar issues. So I think we've got time for maybe two more questions, three if they're very fast. Um, okay. Um, well, I had a question about Secret Wars. And since a lot of you wrote on that, I guess it's appropriate. Um, are there any characters, uh, I guess specifically ex-characters since we're uh, an ex-panel, uh, that you feel would have uh, done well with being replaced by one of their Secret Wars counterparts, like on a permanent basis? That's a really good question. That's a loaded question. <laughs> it's a good one, though. <laughs> oh, for I, me, Jubilee, just because uh, I kind of miss that bouncy Jubilee that they have, but I do like the stuff that they've done with the current Jubilee as well, making her a mom. And I mean, it's tough. You know, every one of these characters, they have... They have their time in the sun, but but also you can move the character forward. Like at Marvel, I really like that they've moved these characters forward, and then you can just get a new character that has a jubilee kind of bounciness. Do you know what I mean? Like you can take that character and and make a new character out of it. Whereas DC, for me, they just keep they keep going. Well, the Flash is this, you know, and then they can never go forward too far without it just resetting again. So for me, I kind of like to have all the, the evolution and just new characters fill those roles. Although I definitely want to give a shout out to the uh, Secret Wars Runaways Jubilee, the sort of girl gang one. She was awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've got, we've got time for one more. I am so sorry. I, the next person is this amazing rogue. Seashell, so just look at her <laughs> yeah, costume. It's fantastic. Okay. Oh, oh, thank you. For those of you listening along at home, the person who was at a friend line just gave Rogue, it's Rogue also the bike. Her birth, it's also Rogue's birthday. Yeah. Today, oh right? my gosh, happy birthday, Rogue. Yay. Um, if you could give any X-Men a solo series, who would it be and why? Oh, a solo series? That's, a, that's an excellent question. Yeah, I think everyone should give this one a shot. Emma Frost, because it's Emma Frost. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, you. <laughs> I'm still still thinking. Uh, I'm still thinking. Uh, someone else? Anyone? Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, you know, I, my, my tendency would be to say Storm because I love her, but I think I'd actually choose Cyclops, you know, of a certain era, just because it would be more challenging. I'm, I think I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to go with the Beast. Uh, I'm going to go with the Beast, and I'm going to have... Um, the beast through history. So the beast from the 60s, the beast from the 70s, the beast from the 80s, and just use him as like a mirror for culture. That would be kind of awesome. Of course, now I'm just imagining all the different beasts teaming up on one team of different beasts from different eras. <laughs> that that happened. The 70s one that ha- was what, so Which good. series did that happen in? Oh, was that a Extinction Agenda? Yeah, it happened. Yeah. Or no, not, or, I mean, not uh, Extinction Agenda. Um, e, for, e, is for extinction. e is for Extinction. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would actually say uh, the, the younger X-Men character, Anil, I think he has a lot of potential, and you barely ever see him as anything but a supporting character, but there was this one issue of Amazing X-Men. It was a standalone with him and Northstar, and there was just so much coolness of him navigating the world as a gay teenager and a green teenager and a teenager teenager with one giant uh, reptilian arm. And, like, I don't know, I just want to get inside that character's head more, give him a new supporting cast. He does. He's great. Um, I'm going to go with Jean Grey and a specific, a specific specific version of her. I want the time displaced all new X Men Jean Grey, the one who yeah. is younger and sort yeah. of trying to establish who she is in that universe. So I think. Oh wait, Scott, did you? Oh, Quentin oh, yeah. Quire. But that's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
All right. Um, so I think that is pretty much all the time we have. Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is usually recorded in Portland, Oregon. Today we are coming to you live from Emerald City Comic Con, and it is produced by Kyle Yount over there. He is also the host of the amazing Godzilla, po- God, ah, Godzilla podcast, Kaiju Cast, which you should also all check out because, again, it's amazing. It's all about giant monsters. He's the one that usually edits out the verbal stumbles like the ones you guys are hearing which now. Which I always do when I'm saying Godzilla podcast, Kaiju Cast. It's like, really if hard. you had outtakes, it would be two-thirds that. <laughs> uh, so new episodes of our show are released uh, late Sundays at Explain thexmen.com and on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever your podcatcher of choice is. We've also got a bunch of other stuff at explainthexmen.com. You can spell it with or without an E, actually. It redirects now. Um, uh, so we've got video reviews, art, blog posts, recaps, and a bunch more stuff. Uh, yeah, and our show is totally listener su- a totally listener-supported project, and we're on the air and ad-free thanks to our rad Patreon subscribers. So if there are any of you, you in the room, thank you guys so much. Yeah, round of applause, because those are the folks who, who make... They're how we're here. Yeah. You are amazing. Um, speaking of thanks, thank you so much to all of our amazing, amazing panelists. Yes. Scott Koblish, uh, Al Ewing, who we dragged up here. Christopher Anka, G. Willow Wilson. Um, let's see, also to our producer, Kyle, who, who came up today to Seattle just to record this episode with us. To our artist, David Wynn. David, can you stand up for a sec? Cause, so David lives in the UK. This is his first U.S. show. Uh, we are all tabling at L18 and Artist Alley. We're going to be here all weekend. You should come see us. Um, thank you to Administrator Tina, who is also here. To Katie Moody, who is not here because she is holding down our table while we are while we are doing this, um, and it's amazing. And whom whom we love dearly. To everyone at Emerald City Comic Con, but in particular to Mike Miller, um, and to all of you who are yes. blending your voices and your presence and here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. You are so cool. Yes. And another thing you can come to, uh, we are doing a yes. thing at Phoenix Comics on Saturday. It's going to be our second anniversary party. There's going to be a big Days of Future Past wall. There's, there's going to be cake and Yeah, yeah. We are having stuff. a second birthday party. It's tomorrow night. It's at Phoenix Comics from 7 to 9. We've got little flyers with the address on our table. Um, it's free. You don't need a con badge. There will be a large cake. There will be balloons. There will be streamers. There will, as Miles said, be a full-size Days of Future Past wall. If you've been to our meetups, we're going to have the word balloons there, too. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Come hang out with us. Party with us. Come see Phoenix Comics if you haven't, because it's a local comic shop, and it's awesome. And it's really great. In the meantime, we will be back in the studio next week, beginning our, beginning our coverage of Inferno. With the Exterminators. Oh. <laughs>